the Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, and I'm joined today by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are you today? What's up, man? Busy day for me. This trade that shook the world happened this morning, and it's kind of thrown my whole day off, but it's a sure beats working for a living. That's right. It's It's been a busy news day in the NFL, and, and uh, lots of ramifications for... Uh, all of us that follow it and and just try to keep up with all the news. So that that's what makes it fun, though. We've got a great guest on today. We've got John Moore, uh, writer from Rotoviz. John, how are you today, man? Hey, Ryan, what's going on? Good to be on with you, Matt. Good to talk to you again. And uh, Ryan, if I'm not mistaken, we're a little overdue for another NFL draft in-person hangout watch party. So maybe we can go back to that well this year. Exactly. I'd love to. Uh, Got to meet John. He's he's a one of the few guys, I guess, from Twitter and and this fantasy and dynasty community that I uh, had a chance to meet in real life. We hung out one year and watched the NFL draft uh, or the first round, I guess. And uh, you know that's that's a great segue, John. We actually watched the draft where Johnny Manziel was taken uh, by the Cleveland Browns, and just like he was that night, he's back in the news this this week. As you know, he he seems to stay in the news and for, mostly for uh, not the best reasons, but you know we've heard this this week about this hit and run, and now he's he's got this relationship, this friendship with Josh Gordon, which seems to be bad news for everybody. I mean, is Manziel just done in the league, John? It just is he ever going to get another shot? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he got another shot. Um, I mean, I don't know if I would if I would really bank on it. I think if you look at guys, I mean, a couple of the things we're going to talk about have to do with players presumably missing extended time, even as much as a season, from the NFL and then coming back. Um, And I think back to, for example, Michael Vick, who was out for a couple years, and the fact that he was able to come back and sort of resurrect his career. I think the thing with Manziel is that we really haven't seen him be anywhere near as electrifying as Vick was in that pre-career disaster that he went through. And so for Manziel, I mean, I think there's always going to be... uh, maybe not always, but there's going to be a market for a player with his talents, but I don't necessarily know if, let's say, in the next two years it would be reasonable to to bet on him starting a game again. Yeah, I actually tweeted a, a hashtag dynasty confession yesterday that I'm still carrying Manziel on <laughs> several of my rosters, and, and I'm asking myself why. You know, first of all, there's at least a decent chance that no team is willing to take a shot on him, given given all these antics and this off-field, uh, all, these off-field issues. And second of all, like you just said, John, even if he gets signed, is he that good? He hasn't proven anything on the NFL level. So, I think um, most of, in most of my leagues, waivers open during the weekend. I, I think this weekend might finally be time to to cut bait and take a shot on someone else. But, I mean, Ryan, for as, for as much of a dearth as there is for quarterback talent in the NFL, I feel like the teams will just be willing to to do that. I mean, there were a lot of guys on NFL rosters last year that you kind of looked at and said, really? Like, that's that's a, a third-string NFL quarterback? And so if, if he can get his head right, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of due diligence on that, um, I, th- I think he should be back on a roster at some point. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's the, it's the starting part that really – is uh, leaves a lot to debate. You know, I've seen some comparisons to his situation, and it, it might sound funny at first to say this, to Tim Tebow. And obviously the, the character of, of those two 
men is, is vastly different. But what Tebow brought with him to every NFL team was the circus, the media, the attention that maybe was unwarranted based on his play on the field. And we get the same thing with Manziel on the other end of the spectrum. And I think with, with Tebow, a lot of teams, my perception is, and, and Matt, you can maybe chime in on this is, uh, with your background, my perception is they just deemed it wasn't worth it to have Tebow on the roster. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he could be our backup quarterback. Maybe he could be our, even our third string quarterback talent-wise. But the media and the attention he brings is, is just not worth it. Matt, what do you think about, about that? I think they both deserve to be out of the league. They both were Heisman winners. They both entered the league with a lot of fanfare. They were exceptional college players, but they're great examples of why college and the NFL are so different. I mean, uh, I don't think that I don't think the circus mentality is what's keeping those two off of rosters. You know, and obviously their character is vastly different. Like you said, I mean, one is most likely addicted to a substance and you know busy with the nightlife and whatnot. Or the other one, he can't complete passes. <laughs> I mean, you can make all the excuses to want for Tebow, but he doesn't hit open receivers. I mean, his accuracy is vastly flawed. And also, and I've been told by people close to the situation, he doesn't, I'm not saying he's dumb, but I'm not saying he's extremely football intelligent either. And it takes an awful lot for him to process information and to take it from the board to the field. So you can leave that however you want. I don't think Johnny's dumb. I just think he's a spoiled kid that's addicted to, you know, whatever he's addicted to, and it's not addicted to football, and that's very obvious. You know, uh, for those that remember, I, I used to host a very popular podcast on ESPN, and we had Merrill Hodge on one time, and it's one interview I'll never forget, and anyone who watches the NFL Matchup Show knows Merrill watches as much or more tape than anybody out there, and he's very, very good at what he does. And he basically said that if he was an advanced-level high school coach, he wouldn't trust Manziel to trust to run his offense. I mean, he does not think he has any grasp of advanced college, let alone NFL passing games. And it really, his physical skill set isn't that overwhelming either. I mean, much different than like a Vic. I mean, Vic was the most athletic guy on the field whenever he was in his prime with a rocket launcher for a left arm, and the ball came out like that, you know, and he was ahead of his time that way. First overall pick in the draft. For Johnny, is an average average athlete out there at this level. He takes a lot of hits, doesn't have a big arm, he can't see over the line of scrimmage. I, I wouldn't have any interest in him whatsoever, and I can't believe he's still on your dynasty roster. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it, it was a confession, and when you make confessions, those are things you're not proud of. So, Well, sure. <laughs> we, we won't spend any more time talking about quarterbacks that have no dynasty value. Let's talk about a wide receiver that may or may not have dynasty value. Gordon's former teammate, Josh Gordon, reportedly failed another drug test. His application for reinstatement was denied or, or put on hold, however you want to view it. There's this this date of August 1st that maybe he could be reinstated. Sashi Brown came out today and said, we're not counting on having him back. What, what do you do with Gordon at this point? John, I I'm not really sure. We ha I don't think we've ever talked about Gordon specifically. Have you been a Gordon supporter in the past? And at this point, what are your feelings on him? Well, I mean, I think uh, he was a little atypical coming out as a prospect because he missed his entire final season. He was suspended from the Baylor team, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he was pretty good in that age 19 season there for Baylor. And so you look at it and you say, okay, you got this guy 
230 pounds, you know, runs pretty well, pretty agile, and was good as a 19-year-old. Okay, like maybe the Browns taking him uh, in that that supplemental second round felt like a reach at the time. But then when you look at what he did in his age 22 season uh, in 2013, I mean, that was really one of the best seasons for anyone at that age in NFL history. Really remarkable, and it was done in just 14 games because he was suspended for part of that season. So even if you go back, let's say um, he just turned 25, I think, yesterday. Uh, if you go back five, six years on this guy, he has a repeated history of getting suspended but actually being pretty good when he can stay on the field. I think there is precedent if you look at receivers who have missed time to injury, missed time to suspension for them coming back and returning at a high level. Um, what really just, I, I think as much as anything, more than the success, what troubles me is the track record that he just can't seem to get his act together. Um, it seems like he's been given every opportunity by the Browns organization, and I just, I don't know what else he could, he could, I don't know where we go from here. Um, and Ryan, I was actually, I was curious to ask you, and maybe you can throw this in the notes or something, but um, as proxy, I wonder where say, Justin Blackman, where his ADP in Dynasty would have been in the spring of 2014, when we're in sort of a, a parallel situation, having missed a season, having dealt with suspension, but people still sort of being optimistic that the talent could be there. Um, I don't know if that's something that you could uh, look up real quick or throw out, but, um, I mean, the, I guess my ultimate thought on him is that there, the precedent is there for success after a break, but we just don't even know at this point when that break uh, might come to an end. Yeah, I agree completely, and uh, with with most of what you said, I don't have Blackman's ADP in front of me. I'll I'll see if I can find that. But I do know it. You know, like I was mentioning with Manziel, it took uh, most people a long time to to really give up on Blackman. And in fact, someone was asking me on a, a Twitter question the other day, should I add this player? And, and I said, sure, it, just, it depends on who you're going to drop. And he said he was going to drop Justin Blackman. So, that, you know, he's still on rosters out there in mm -hmm. Dynasty Leagues. Um, he has proven it at some point that he has that, that talent. And, um, you know, that's hard to let go of. Once, once you see that, once, you know, that guy scores points for your Dynasty team, it, it's hard to give that up, especially if you're just outright dropping him to the waiver wire. You know, that's, that's a painful uh, a painful move. But as far as Gordon, you know, someone, uh, John, you write for Rotoviz, of course, and one of your, your co-writers over there, and I apologize, I, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but wrote a great piece when Martavis Bryant was suspended, just with the idea that, you know, a lot of times these guys don't come back. They never even step on the field again. So, you know, with the multiple chances, the multiple suspensions with Gordon, I think that has to be a concern that Maybe we never see him on the field again. Well, I think the issue, too, is, like, what do you get for him if you trade him away for anything? Um, I mean, I, don't, I haven't been looking at the, the Dynasty hashtag lately to see what, what he might even be going for. But when you look at someone like him and think, okay, well, if I could get a, a first-rounder or a second-rounder for him, you know, what are you going to get out receiver that you're going to feel is that much more of a sure bet as far as future payouts than a 2017 Josh Gordon is going to be. You know what I mean? Like, if you could get, uh, I don't know, let's say, 
I can't even think of who would be an appropriate guy. If you could get Tyler Boyd or Farrell Cooper in the beginning of the second round in a rookie draft and compare him to compare them to Josh Gordon, like which of those sides do you think is has more future value? Um, I, I mean, I think that the window to get a first round pick for him was was slammed shut earlier this week. In fact, mm-hmm. on our last episode, just uh, just a few days ago, I advised people not to take a second round rookie pick for for Gordon. But I see your point as well. You know, I mean, if those are, you know, Pharaoh Cooper, Tyler Boyd, those those are prospects who um, ha- certainly have some potential, but have their, you know, they have their warts as well. Do we feel safe saying that they have a higher upside than than Gordon if he can stay on the field? I, I, don't, I don't think, think so. so. So I I don't know. I guess as a Gordon owner, what I'm feeling right now is just that frustration. You know, it's almost like a disappointed parent of, you know, this happened again, and, uh, you know, this time we're really going to do something about it. So, and maybe that's trading him for a third rounder, or maybe that's just outright cutting him, and and maybe as dynasty owners we should be taking advantage of that frustration from our league mates. Matt, any any thoughts on Gordon in general? I know you had him on your roster earlier uh, uh, yeah, this uh, season, and, and were able to, to sell him? I got him in a dispersal, though. I mean, I think it's a little different, just the human mindset, if you, you held this guy all last year. I mean, it, it takes a little bit more to pry him away whenever you put the time in having him sit on your roster after he was so successful at his peak and in not-so-optimal you know conditions around him. However, <laughs> even if he is an angel and gets back on the field, the last we saw him, he was not an effective player. I mean, and it wasn't just because the people around him weren't all that good in Cleveland. He didn't look good on tape the last time he was on the field. And he's going to go to by far the worst team in the league. <laughs> I mean, look at their receivers right now. Benjamin's gone. They're going to either have RG3 or McCown or Wentz or Goff or Connor Cook or somebody else will get to that trade. As a quarterback, I mean, there's... It, it even in the, the perfect situation, his situation is garbage. So, so you feel safe to to just avoid him in general? I, mean, I certainly wouldn't be trying to buy. I would love to sell, but this is about the worst time ever to try to sell on the guy. I, I think you're stuck with him if you have him. I mean, you can't deal him for three oh eight. Right. Right. So let's move on to some some brighter news, some more exciting news in the NFL world. And Matt, like you mentioned this trade earlier, and uh, I know this really gave some excitement to your day. Of course, the the big deal, the the draft pick trade between the Rams and the Titans. The Rams move up to get the number one overall pick. They also get a fourth and a sixth rounder thrown in as well. The Titans just get a huge haul, in my opinion, and Matt, I'm going to let you talk about this. They get the 15th overall pick in the first round. They get two second rounders, 43 and 45. They also get the 76th pick, which I believe is a third rounder. They get a future first. Uh, we've talked about the value of those 2017 first on here in, in dynasty terms, but they're, you know future first rounders in the NFL are even more valuable. So they get the future first, and they also get a, a third in 2017. So, Matt, just go at it. Let, let us have your thoughts about this trade, um, the Rams' plans, and the Titans loading up on these draft picks. Yeah, I'm going to go on a little rant here. You know, if you're the Rams, obviously their number one goal this offseason is and should be 
trying to find a franchise quarterback. I mean, not to mention you're moving to a new city. People of L.A. want something to get excited about. you got to put this, this face up on billboards. And they paid a lot to do it. And they have a lot of other needs. You know, even if, if they hit on the quarterback, whether it's Goff or Wentz, they're going to be far away from contending. I mean, their defense was very good, but they got hit pretty hard in free agency on that side of the ball. They certainly need passing game help. Their tight end situation's horrible. Um, they, they just have a lot of problems. It's a young offensive line, but they're really bad at center. So even if everything hits, it's going to be a long year, I think, for the Rams. But let's just say that they gave that all up, and instead of getting the first overall pick in the draft, the Titans sent them Marcus Mariota. All of us would be saying, that's the dumbest trade in, in NFL history. That's what, the Titans never should have done that. Why would you do that? That's crazy. Well, the Rams might be looking at it like, we think Goff or Wentz, and surely they have somebody they like better than the other. I like Goff better, especially for them thinks that he can be the next Mariota. So if he does get in that realm of young quarterbacks, then it's worth it for them, even if it sets them back a couple years. But, man, do I love this for the Titans. The Titans have had an excellent offseason to date, free agency-wise, did a lot to build around Mariota, and I think they're you know one piece away on offense, really, a tackle, and we all assumed it would be Tunsil. Now at 15, maybe it's Conklin, maybe it's Decker, Maybe they trade up for Stanley. You know, they have so many draft picks now, they can move around the draft board at all rounds to go target their guys. And I think I would, or maybe it's a second-round tackle. And I look at it like this, that if they had a legitimate tackle prospect, maybe that's that second pick in the second round, or, you know, move back in the first round, or take him at 15, or move up against Stanley, and basically the rest of this draft is all defense, a lot of secondary you know, three second-round picks, four pick, four picks in the top 45, you're going to infuse this defense with a wealth of talent at all levels for Dick LeBeau to really mold. And then, you know, you lean on DeMarco Murray, run him into the ground behind a, what's improved offensive line as Mariota develops with a better young defense. And then in the, this next offseason, you have two first-round picks, both of whom could be in the top 10, two second-round picks that could be in the top 10, and I pretty much can guarantee they, they're going to be in the top 20. I don't think either one of these teams is going to the playoffs. And then you take Leonard Fournette or Nick Chubb and something else, you know, and they're still going to have a lot of money to spend in free agency next year. They don't have any high-priced guys. The Titans can be a major factor in the NFL two years from now. I've seen a lot of people say that uh, this was a win-win deal. You know, the Rams presumably get their franchise quarterback. The Titans now have all these picks. As you mentioned, they have six in the top 76. And I can see that mindset, I guess. But to me, this is a, a clear win for the Titans. Even though most of those picks, I, I don't expect many of those picks to be offensive skill position players. I'm still excited to see what they do with all those picks. Like you said, one of them has to be a tackle, at least one. And, and they'll uh, continue to load up on, on defense as well. But it will be fun just watching watching this team build with all those draft picks. John, did you have any thoughts on, on the trade today? Well, I guess just a question for you guys. I mean, looking at, Matt, basically the scenario that you just outlined and the way the Titans are building, going into the 2017 season, knowing what we know about these organizations in the AFC South right now, does this put the Titans in position to be the favorite in that division going into, not this season, but the 2017 season? 
Not this season for sure. I mean, I like their chances. I mean, I think they're very well set up. I'm still a monster Andrew Luck fan. I'm still a monster not fan of the Colts front office. I think they're one of the worst in the league. Um, I think the Texans have a, a lot of work to do, but they're not going away. And I think Jacksonville's are very much the arrows pointing up. So even before this deal, I thought the arrow was very much, much like the Raiders, I think the arrow is very much pointing up in Jacksonville and Tennessee. This could be enough to make them a real contender. You know, I mean, Tom Brady's not going to be around forever, and, you know, somebody's going to have to take over the reins, and maybe it's the Titans in 17-18. Ryan, the only other thought that I had is that I'm interested the trickle down of how this affects the rest of the top ten, specifically Cleveland, because if they, if the Rams felt compelled to jump Cleveland to presumably take one of these guys, that means that Cleveland's not going to get their guy, and does that mean that somebody else jumps up into the two spot? Basically, what's the domino effect of this deal? That's the only other thing that I thought was pretty interesting. I think that's interesting as well, and. As you said, the Browns maybe lost their choice. Um, if we're to believe these reports, you know, one day it's that they like golf, the next day they're targeting Wentz. I don't know if that's believable or not, but if we do believe that, then then maybe uh, maybe the Browns not having their own choices is a good thing that they're just, you know, taking the the leftovers after the Rams uh, select. But I, I think they they have some. You know, some trade options still. We've already seen some rumors with the Eagles moving up to two. I saw saw that before we started recording today. So I, I expect more trades, which is always fun for us uh, us viewers and writers and, and such. So I think it's going to be an exciting draft. Ryan, along those lines, and I think you said a lot of good things there, I think the one thing we know about this new Browns front office is they value draft picks. You know, they're letting their... their Gibsons and Mac and all these guys go, and they're going to get a lot of compensatory picks. I and mean, I think they plan on building through mass quantities of draft picks. And if they only love Wentz or they only love Goff or they weren't sure about either one, and we don't know they were, one of those two is going to fall at one. Maybe they can get 90% of what the Titans did from the Niners or the Eagles or, I mean, Denver's not going to move that far, but some quarterback needy team, the Jets, or somebody might give them a ransom, and they need every pick they can get, not to mention they're going to pick in the top three next year. You know, So they don't if they don't get their quarterback in this draft, and maybe they spend the year trying to groom RG3 into something or use a second-round pick on Connor Cook or Paxton Lynch and see if any of those hit, but th they can probably have the, their choice of quarterbacks in the 2017 draft. They're terrible. So I saw the the theory that the trade actually improved the trade value of Cleveland's number two pick, which I think is what you're saying, because yeah. it's 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 safe to assume now that Goff and Wentz, in whatever order, will be the top two, and um, where before the you know the thought was Ramsey could go one or Tunsil could go one, and one of the quarterbacks could go two, and the other one was going to fall maybe to seven or or beyond. So now it seems you know, fairly set in stone that they're going to be the top two. And if you want one of them, you've got to go to Cleveland. So, uh, And maybe Cleveland, you know, trades Joe Thomas and totally has a fire sale, takes Tunsil at two. You know, I mean, like, I, I think this trade hurts the Browns for them to get, quote, their quarterback, whoever that is, if it's Goff or Wentz. But I do think it gives them a lot of options and people will be calling them now more. 
Exactly. It should be uh, it should be a fun uh, process to see play out and. Like and I lastly, said, I'm sorry. Lastly, that, though, okay. I think it's time to erase the chances of Dallas taking a quarterback at four. I mean, I can't see they're I can't see two and three, no matter who they are, passing on quarterback after one goes at one. And that's what I was just going to ask. <clears throat> Looking at the top ten of the draft, Cleveland, San Diego, Dallas, Jacksonville, Baltimore, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, New York. Like, besides Dallas, and I guess San Francisco to a degree. Like who else in that bunch is really actively looking for a guy? So, I don't know. could be interesting. Do you guys believe the Eagles? I, I tend not to. I mean, I look at the Eagles and say, they've had a fantastic offseason. They don't have a lot of massive needs. They're only sitting at eight. Maybe they love Wentz or Goff. I mean, there's been all this talk about how they're, you know, they, they made offers for the number one pick. I just don't know if I buy it. Yeah, I don't, I, I've given up trying to figure out Philadelphia at this point. Um you know, between the moves that Kelly made that that always seem to be shocking and and you know now that he's gone, they're they're cleaning house and getting rid of all the players that uh, basically that he brought in. It's I'm just kind of sitting back and observing, but it, it's tough to project what what they could do. Well, let's move on now and uh, look at some of John's work over at Rotoviz. Um, John, I, I love basically everything you do. I know you you kind of specialize on. Uh, finding those breakout wide receivers, and you've been successful with that in the past. I know one guy you loved uh, a couple of years ago, in, in fact, in that draft that, that we watched together was Allen Robinson, and uh, of, of course he has enjoyed a breakout season and, and proved you right and, and a couple of others who were on that train. So we want to talk about some of these incoming rookies, uh, especially the wide receivers, but you recently hosted a rookie mock draft, and, and you do these periodically. I, I really uh, enjoy these. I've gotten to participate in a couple myself, and you always invite uh, others, uh, other writers and, and people from different uh, parts of the industry. So this time you guys did a three-round rookie mock draft, and we want to uh, take a look and focus on the first round today. So no surprise with the first pick, uh, Ezekiel Elliott went off the board. Uh, not a lot to talk about there. I think he's nearly the consensus 101 at this point. I I'm still kind of hanging on to some Laquan Treadwell love, but uh, I don't have the one 101 in any league, so that's not a decision I'm going to have to make. Um, John, is, is Elliot the 101 for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that I think you can make a case depending on where uh, where Corey Coleman lands that maybe he is that guy, at least in my worldview. But I think if I were to bet right now who is most likely to go number one overall in the majority of rookie drafts, it would be Ezekiel Elliott. All right, that, that seems to be a pretty safe bet at this point. Number two in your all's rookie mock was Laquan Treadwell. He is getting some pressure, as we've talked about on this show before, starting to get some pressure from some of the other rookies who are gaining steam on him, but he held on to that number two spot. Uh, and again, I, I kind of feel like that's your specialty, John, is analyzing wide receivers. So it, it's been a rough offseason for Treadwell. You know, he ran he ran slow or at least slower than, than we hoped he would. Uh, he had these injuries that kept him out of at least part of the combine workout. So what are, what are your views and your opinion on Treadwell in general? Yeah, well, I think he's kind of a 
I think with the growth of Devi Leagues, we have started to hone in on some of these players as sort of untouchable, unicorn kinds of prospects, maybe before they've even cashed in on some of that potential. Um, and I think that was the case for Treadwell early on, going back to you know last August when there were videos of him on YouTube doing backflips and stuff like that. And I mean, I, I'm glad that he got back, he got healthy. Um, if you look, if you throw away his first three games and say, okay, let's give him some time to get back up to speed after the season-ending injury in 2014, his market share, his yards per game, all those kinds of things that I like to pay attention to uh, look a lot better. Um, I think ultimately my biggest uh, gripe about Treadwell, if you will, is not necessarily that I think he's a bad prospect because I think players who have accomplished as much as he has at as young of an age as he has are generally pretty safe bets as far as uh, them having uh, solid NFL careers. But I think when you talk about him as a top five, top ten kind of prospect, that makes me a little bit nervous. I think it would be uh, much, I think I'd be much more excited about him price-wise for the NFL draft purposes if we were talking about him going in the bottom of the first round like we saw a Hakeem Nix do to the Giants, like we saw DeAndre Hopkins do, similar size guys, um, young players, accomplished college careers, so on and so forth. So I think that Treadwell is a rock-solid top three prospect in this class. I don't personally have him as my number one guy, but uh, I certainly think that he should universally be a top five uh, top five rookie pick in, uh, in Dynasty drafts. John, I got a couple questions for you, and I think you said it really well, and this is actually what happened to me with Treadwell was – you know, right after the 2015 draft, you see all these lists of these are going to be the best guys coming out, you know, and like you said, the Debbie community, which I'm not really a part of. So whenever I put, when I watch Treadwell for the first time, I expect him to be Julio Jones. You know, I mean, like I, my standards were super duper high that this guy's going to be a size speed freak that's just so much better than everybody out there. And I kind of watched him like everybody else and said, well, he's not Julio Jones. <laughs> I mean, he's okay, but he's not Julio Jones. And then you watch him more and more, and you just analyze him for what he truly is. I think he's a great football player, and I think he'll be highly successful in the NFL. Love to see him in New York with the Giants or Dallas opposite Des Bryant. I doubt those happen. You know, the draft probably isn't going to set up that way for him. But I'm curious where he lands. And then the piggyback off that, and this is something I've asked. You know, we've talked about with a couple draft analysts is. I, I, I've been made it known that I've been trading a lot of my 2016 picks. I'm not a believer in this draft class. And the receiver class, it's not a knock on it so much, but just compared to recent years, I don't see that massive upside guy. You know, the the size speed freak, the green Beckham, the, the Moncrief, the, or, the, or the Martavis Bryant that goes in the third and fourth rounds of the NFL draft. The, the guy that it, 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 not not even Julio that's a top five pick, but the guy that if he hits, he could be a stud. And, and who am I missing? Is there a couple guys like that in the draft? I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's really where I am with it too, is that I think Treadwell can be a very solid, above-average NFL wide receiver. And a lot of the markers that I look for in a player, he he hits for being above-average. If you want to talk about him being potentially elite, see, here's the thing: if if you took if you took Josh Doxson's athleticism and put it on Laquan Treadwell, then yeah, let's let's talk about Treadwell as the unicorn number one kind of guy. Um, but I think those guys are are sort of 
opposites in a lot of ways in that Treadwell is young, not that athletic, and pretty productive, and Doxon is much older, super athletic, and super productive, and where do these two guys who are essentially three years apart age-wise right now, how do we compare them, and, and what are the pros and cons of those different attributes? Well, let's move on to the number three pick in the Rotoviz rookie mock draft, and this was a bit of bit of a surprise for me, but we've talked about uh, scenarios where this could happen. Derrick Henry comes off the board at three. Um, I think, you know, if he does land in Dallas in that second round pick, this is a possibility. Other than that, I don't know if I don't know if we could see Henry this high. How about Carolina at the end of the first round? I still wouldn't take him at three. I still wouldn't I take would him. Either, over, but, right. I wouldn't take him at Do- uh, over Dotson or or Coleman. John, some of your general thoughts on Henry, and and did you think, or I guess, did you think three was a little too high for him? I think it depends on how you want to play it. Because for me, I'm the kind of dynasty owner that likes to bet on the highest floor assets and hope to basically get lucky in the postseason. Because I think that in the long run, if you have enough. Uh, enough horses in your stable that things will sort of even out in your favor. I think if you're the kind of dynasty owner that likes to swing for the fences and take the highest upside kinds of guy that you can, like, I I think that Henry makes sense here. And when you look at him, I mean, what he did production-wise, the athleticism for someone as big as he is, I mean, it's, it's really kind of unprecedented. And if you want to say that, okay, well, he's not that great a pass catcher, I think in instances where that argument comes up, I just defer to, well, I think he's probably that good of a finisher down near the goal line that, you know, maybe the pass utility goes away, but some of the touchdown upside comes into play. And, I mean, I think running backs are the most likely position, particularly guys like Henry, uh, to really see their stock climb later in, uh, later in the season as we as we move toward the start of the regular season. And so I think, Henry, maybe it feels like a little bit of a reach right now, but I don't think it's going to be that that much of a reach come August if you're doing your rookie draft then. I think he's almost certainly uh, going to be a top-five guy taken almost regardless of where he goes. John, I think you said something good there too. Like, I don't love Derrick Henry as a football player. You know, if I was a GM, if I don't necessarily want my favorite team to draft him. But he does have some fantasy insulation. He's going to score touchdowns. All right. So next, uh, we we've talked about uh, on here a little bit that Josh Dotson, Corey Coleman seem to have been gaining on Treadwell, gaining on that that those top two, and they come off the board next in the rookie mock at in the four and five spot. So let's just compare these two guys for a moment. They're very different players, very different games. John, I think I know your answer. You mentioned some Corey Coleman love already, and I know you also factor age quite a bit into your analysis. So which of these players do you prefer? And just in ge- just any general thoughts about, about either player, Dotson and Coleman? I mean, I think they are both terrific players. Um, again, with me having a little bit more of a, a numerical worldview, I think there are a lot of arguments that you could make that these guys look the same, on paper, so just for example, they both were tremendously efficient with their yards per target. 
Uh, they both come in about the same range, about 36% in terms of market share of receiving yards they accounted for last year. They both averaged uh, over 110 receiving yards per game, all those kinds of things. Um, what it really kind of comes down to for me is that I think within the context of his offense, Corey Coleman has been more explosive and more valuable as a receiver over the last couple of years. I think if you want to look at Coleman from the perspective of someone who was a, a pretty good special teams player, something that Doxon wasn't really asked to do, uh, I think that that absolutely matters. Um, and then I think ultimately I, I did an article that was looking at Doxon against Coleman, both of them from the Big 12, against 22 common opponents over the last couple of years. And they really come out pretty close to neck and neck with a slight edge going to Coleman. And then sort of the other slight edge is that Coleman was about a year, year and a half younger on average than Doxon was in those matchups. And so ultimately, for me, it comes down to Coleman being similarly productive, both of them being big-time athletes, but just Coleman have more experience carrying a passing offense, doing it at a younger age, and having some more diverse contributions than, than Doxon has been made to, uh, to do there at TCU. That said, I can understand where in a, in a dynasty mock you could take Doxon higher. Just kind of depends on where they land because opportunity is such an important thing. But in a vacuum right now, three weeks before the NFL draft, actually two weeks uh, before the NFL draft, I would take Coleman over Doxon every time. John, you said some great things there, but just to play devil's advocate, and I'm not saying I like Please. one better than the other, but you, do you concede, though, that you like Doxon's chances of getting in the end zone more than Coleman? I mean, sometimes I think we all forget that fantasy football points matter, and kind of like I said about Henry, touchdowns make the world go round. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not any accomplished uh, film scout by any means, but I watched a lot of TCU this year just because it was apparent what kind of special seasons both Boykin and Oxen were piecing together. And he does some really special things when the ball is in the air as far as adjusting to it, uh, leaping over a defender, you know, getting his feet down in a tough spot. His ability to do that is really spectacular. Uh, no question there, Matt. This is why I have your attention. I mean, when I was at Pitt, I was there for Larry Fitzgerald's years, and I've made that very clear, mm -hmm. obviously. But when we got near the goal line, we could put it up on the Hinesfield scoreboard. Hey, we're throwing a fade to Larry, and it didn't matter. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Or if, if if he happened to be playing the U and he was going up against Antro Roll or somebody, then you run a fade stop or, or a slant. I mean, those guys that have that skill translate to a lot of fantasy points. And I'm not saying he's Larry Fitzgerald, but you get my point. Absolutely. So with the next pick, um, it was a bit of a surprise to me. This is a guy who I, I feel like the perception is he's losing some some dynasty value, you know, before he's even on an NFL roster. Uh, Tyler Boyd came off the board at the sixth spot um, by our buddy Sean Siegel, and, and Sean mentioned basically he felt like it was the beginning of a new tier. So he he was going to gamble on the guy he'd seen some impressive production from. You know, some, a couple of our previous guests, Matt Harmon of uh, NFL.com, Sigmund Bloom, uh, football guys, both of those guys are on the record as not being fans of Tyler Boyd, not uh, expecting much from him really on, on an NFL level. Uh, what are your thoughts on Boyd? Are, are you as down on him as, as Matt and Sigmund? Do you see him as, as possibly a value in the middle of the first, or, or is he a later first guy? 
Well, a couple of things to point out here. The first is that I absolutely agree that that top five in some order, I think, is going to be pretty uh, steadfast, being running backs Henry and Elliott, and then receivers Treadwell, Doxson, and Coleman. And so for me, I like to figure out where tiers run out and try to get that last pick. So, for example, I think getting pick five in a, in a rookie draft would be a pretty valuable spot to be this year, knowing that you're guaranteed to get one of those guys. Um, where that next tier runs out, I'm still trying to work out. But specific to Tyler Boyd, um, I think that when you look at a player like Tyler Boyd, who has been so proficient in basically every area that you could ask him to be, as a kick, punt returner, as a runner, as a receiver, particularly I would challenge anyone to look at how his 2014 season compares to Amari Cooper um, in just about any kind of metric that you want to look at. Yards per team attempt, yards per target, market share, uh, yards per route run, all these kinds of things. 2014 Tyler Boyd was maybe not raw production Mamari Cooper, but pretty close in just about any other way that you could look at him. And I think what really kind of does it for me is uh, I'm a big believer in breakout age and carrying a passing offense in college and having that be an indicator for someone who can once they're not the 100% focus of a passing offense, but can be a really good complementary part where that guy can really have some space and succeed. And so just for example, I want to throw this out here, Ryan. Um, if you look at career market share of receiving yards, Tyler Boyd is at 43%, which is basically the highest of anyone in, in recent draft history. Amari Cooper, by comparison, who had a great college career, 35%. Uh, I mean, even Devonte Parker, 28%. Um, Laquan Treadwell, 24%. I mean, what what Tyler Boyd did over his college career uh, is really um, almost without match as far as how much he carried a passing offense, and I'm excited for him to get in a spot where he can be a really good complementary piece and have, have some more space to work and really do a lot of damage with a diverse skill set that uh, I don't think comes around a lot. In, being a pick guy, this is somebody I can talk about a little bit more than the others. Please. And I'd love to see him with the Giants or the Cowboys, kind of like I mentioned with Treadwell, as a number, true number two. And I think he is a true number two. But kind of like what you were saying, he was a beast in 2014. And the Pitt offense was a lot different. I mean, they had a very good power running back that you know fed off each other. The Boyd and the running game played off one another really well. But if you watch Pitt this year, they had quarterback issues. And everyone in the world game planned of let's take Tyler Boyd away. You know, I mean, that's that's what you do if you're a defense coordinator against the Panthers this year. So they would throw him bubble screens. They would still force feed him the ball because he was their best player. But it was just a much tougher go of things for him. So is he an elite athlete? No. But he's highly competitive. I don't see things that he does everything pretty well. But for dynasty reasons, this still seems a little rich for me. I mean, to take him six overall... I'm not a Will Fuller fan, but I do think it's noteworthy that Daniel Jeremiah mentioned just the other day that he knows that Fuller is the number one receiver on a handful of NFL teams' boards this, right now. Uh, he wouldn't be for me, but if you know, I, I could see people. I think I could see Fuller's stock rising dramatically, and uh, he wouldn't be somebody I'd be interested in. But he, he's somebody of note. Yeah, Matt. The the cost of acquisition is definitely a big thing, especially because we kind of get stuck in this spot of saying, well, oh, he's kind of similar to Keenan Allen. He's kind of similar to, to Stephon Diggs. But when you look at that, I mean, I know in my, my home league that I give my most dynasty attention to, I think Keenan Allen was maybe a mid-second round pick in 2013. 
I think that yeah, he was uh, a third round pick in the NFL. Man, he ran like a four seven five. Yeah, yeah. I, I just mean as far as uh, for like dynasty, oh, know, like know, rookie draft. Yeah. Um, and then I think I think Stephon Diggs was maybe like a third round pick in my rookie draft last year. And so, to your point, absolutely to to draft this kind of player six overall is a surprise. And for anyone that knows Sean Siegel, that shouldn't be a surprise that he went on on that limb. But Matt, I would actually love to ask you this. Um, I have a theory that college players who, particularly non-quarterbacks, who are asked to throw passes routinely. So, for example, Farrell Cooper threw 16 passes in his college career. Uh, Nelson Spruce threw eight. Tyler Boyd threw four. Um, Like, should I be reading into that, that the coaching staff recognizes that this is the best player on an offense, trusts them enough to make good decision, and just is willing to do whatever they need to to get the ball in their hands? I would say a little. You know, I mean... One thing that surprised me that I don't think I've ever mentioned on the air before is when I started to be employed by teams. I mean, Duquesne, Akron, Pitt, the Browns. It's amazing to me that these a lot of these really high-end, world-class athletes can't throw a football. Like, I could throw a football better than some of the linemen on the Browns. I mean, <laughs> and I'm not an athlete. You know I mean? I'm just saying you go to practice every day you would think more of these extreme athletes would be able to throw a football 20 yards accurately or chuck one downfield, and it's really not true. You know, I mean, like, uh, it, it surprises me how poorly some of them do throw the football. So, and for example, like I mentioned Larry before, Larry had the best arm on our team. I mean, we did that once in a while. He, would, he had an unbelievable arm, and it was accurate with it. But, yeah, I do think that sometimes, probably in Tyler's case and Boyd's case, was... We're going to try to manufacture offense any way we can. He's clearly our best guy. This is one more weapon, one more thing he can do. I think that's a great point, John. And it seems like we talk about it a lot with a guy like Pharaoh Cooper, who, you know, he took snaps as a running back, obviously as a wide receiver in the slot and um, wildcat quarterback. And, you know, they he was easily and obviously their their best player on offense and and yeah they tried to get him the ball almost on every snap so it's easy to see with him but I think a guy like Boyd I mean honestly I didn't know he threw four passes so that's uh, a lot of people listening and and you know looking forward to their drafts probably didn't know that either and and maybe that doesn't mean much but but maybe it does it's it's interesting and and I think that's a great point overall. And guys, this is something we haven't talked about either, but there's probably a lot of people out there that aren't familiar with recruiting or high school football, but often, if you have a stud player in high school, he's your quarterback, and you run option with him or whatever. He runs the ball an awful lot. Like, in my time, Darrell Revis, Steve Breston, Teddy Ginn, all those guys were really good high school quarterbacks, and then whenever they get recruited, they're recruited as a, quote, athlete. And everyone pretty much knows, even if you know the, the kid was told something different, he's probably not going to be an NCAA quarterback. You're going to make him a corner or a wide receiver or whatever. So a lot of those guys have an extensive history, at least throwing the ball at the high school level, because they want the ball in their hands. So let's move on to our next player. This is the seventh pick in the Rotoviz rookie mock draft uh, that was recently completed and, and posted over at Rotoviz. I, I encourage you to check that out. John, you you alluded to or you mentioned the solid top five that you see with the three receivers and and the two running backs. This is one guy that I can see breaking into that top five. Uh, Leonte Carew was the seventh player chosen. So I don't, 
I don't know what it is about Carew, but to me, he seems to have have this support around the Twitter community, around the Dynasty community, and my my feeling is that in basically every active Dynasty league, like like we all play in, there's going to be at least one guy that just loves Carew and and is going to be willing to take him, even if they're reaching and taking him at three or or they're moving up, you know, to get that five spot to take him. He's a guy that that I could see moving into that top five. What what are your thoughts on Carew? Yeah, I mean, I I think <clears throat> Carew uh, for me, I have him in the pre-draft process ranked as my number two receiver in this class, and maybe that's going overboard, but it's it's what I believe. And really, the this stems from how much he has carried his, his passing offense over the last couple of years, and how efficient he has been in doing it. One of the big things I'm a believer in is players who have high efficiency as defined by yards per target. So some of the big play receivers in this class you might think about, you might say, oh, well, Corey Coleman's a big play receiver or Will Fuller's a big play receiver. Those two guys, uh, Coleman averaged 12.1 yards per target over his final two seasons. Will Fuller averaged 11.1 yards per target over his final two seasons. Deontay Carew averaged 12.7 yards per target while carrying a bigger portion of his offense than those guys. And so he is as big play of a receiver as exists in this class, in my opinion, and he's definitely someone who uh, is tremendously, uh, it's a wise decision to throw him the ball. That said, he also, everyone in the stadium knows he's getting the ball and he still can pull that off. I I like the fact that he checked in uh, over 210 pounds. I think that's a plus. I mean, he wasn't, by any means, like a, a blow-away athlete, but I think he was solid in enough categories. And basically, if you are someone who uh, is more metrically inclined, there isn't a box that Leonte Carew doesn't check, in my opinion. Uh, and so that's why I think that you could see people really reach for him, especially if he lands in a favorable spot uh, in the second or third round. It'll be interesting to see what the NFL thinks of him, because I know that there are some off-field kinds of question marks. I want to say uh, one of the guests on Rotoviz Radio, maybe Eric Galco, said that uh, when Rutgers played Michigan at the end of last season, Carew's health was kind of on the fence and that he basically uh, sort of tapped out and said he didn't want to go against Jordan Lewis all day, and so he just didn't play. And there wasn't a, a good explanation for that. So the off-the-field stuff, I don't know about, but when he's in the lineup, I do know that he's a difference maker. Real quick, I like Carew more than Floyd or more than Boyd, um, and I think you mentioned it. Like it wouldn't shock me that on NFL draft day he ends up being a late third round pick. You know, he falls like Martavis Bryant did. You know, something mm-hmm. like that, and everyone's kind of scratching their head. And what's not nearly as good of a receiver draft? And maybe his dynasty stock then starts to cool off heavily. But that doesn't mean he's lesser of a player. I mean, if he falls on the NFL draft, it's for off the field reasons. Yeah, and especially because there are some good spots that are, let's say, in the 55 to 70 kind of range in the draft where you've got teams that you could see taking a wide receiver uh, like the Vikings, like the Browns, like the Cowboys, and you say, okay, well, maybe those teams, they don't take anyone in the first or second round, and then even if he does go that late, that it could still be a prime spot for him to land. I do think with the recent news on... Martavis Bryant, the recent news, you know, with with Manziel and Gordon, like we talked about earlier, I think if a player like Carew does fall, and you know that is attributed to 
the off-field concerns. I could see him really falling down uh, dynasty rookie drafts just with that, you know, that recency bias, I guess, of the worry about off-field issues in general. So that that is one situation where well, I could see him tumbling in, instead of moving up into that top five. Yeah, and just a, a quick follow-up comment. I think there's a big uh, maybe inefficiency of when a player falls in the NFL draft. I think that really shakes the confidence of dynasty owners. I don't know what you guys think about that, but I think even like oh yeah, Jay Ajayi, for example, last year, what did he end up going in the fourth or fifth round? And he was a guy that before the draft you might have said could be a top ten rookie pick. Mm-hmm. And in my home league, I got I got a Jai, I think at twenty six or twenty eight, and that was uh, later in the summer. And so I, I think that can definitely be an inefficiency to exploit. But there's no question the NFL teams know more about the medical and the background of these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they fall, it's always for one of those two reasons. Mm-hmm. It's not because we misevaluated them as players. Uh, it's because people don't like them, or they're worried about them going to jail, or they have substance abuse problems, or their knees shot. All right, well, let's fast forward a little bit and, and wrap up today's show with this, this one last question. So towards the end of the Rotoviz rookie mock, John, that, that you hosted, we saw three running backs go in the final four picks. So C.J. Procise came off the board with the 10th pick, I'm sorry, the the ninth pick, actually, the the running back from Notre Dame. Then we saw 11 and 12, Kenneth Dixon and Devontae Booker. So I, I see this battle, and, and there's support for each of those guys, and it's it, it's wavered a little bit or it's flip-flopped a little bit all offseason. I guess who is your current uh, running back three, and how much does landing spot with, with guys like Procise, Dixon, and Booker matter for you? Oh, I mean, it it absolutely matters a lot, I think, when you're breaking any of these ties. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but of that bunch, Kenneth Dixon is my favorite. And I might even go as far as to say Kenneth Dixon uh, might be my, let's say, besides Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott, might be my third favorite running back in the last two classes. I think that he can do a lot of things really well. I think he's sort of boringly awesome in that uh, he's an above-average receiver, he's an above-average athlete, He basically everything that you could look at a prospect and, and think, he is above-average at it. And you put the whole package together and you think, wow, like none of this in and of itself blew me away, but in aggregate, this is a really, really valuable asset to have on a team. Um, I, I like that that is backed up by people who are uh, paying more attention to the film. For example, Matt Waldman, I uh, spoke with him recently, and he said that Dixon is absolutely his number three guy too. And uh, landing spot could shake that up, sure. In a vacuum, pre-draft, I think Dixon is is easily that guy. And then I think that where the tiers really get interesting is actually a little bit beyond that when you start to look at Jordan Howard, when you start to look at Paul Perkins, Devonta Booker, Procise. I mean, even a Jonathan Williams, depending on how the medical stuff checks out for him. Um, the class gets really interesting, I think, uh, a little bit deeper. I think this is going to be a really fun uh, pick 10 through 20 of rookie drafts this year. So uh, we, we can't get away with with that hint. We can't get away without me asking you, in, in those mid-teens to 20 
20th pick overall. I guess just looking at the second round, who is one of your favorite uh, favorite targets in that range, John? I don't have the, the mock draft up in front of me right now, but I just have my own kind of personal ranks up. I mean, sure. Jonathan Williams, I think, is a guy that was really good in 2013 and 2014 in the SEC. The, there were issues with his left foot, I think. People were, were wondering how that was going to check out. At his pro day, he ran very well, very quick off the line, very agile, 220-pound back. And historically, if you look at college situations that produce two NFL runners, uh, when they are both good in college, like Williams and Alex Collins were, like Carnell Williams and Ronnie Brown, like Felix Jones and Darren McFadden, uh, Reggie Bush and Lindell White, those guys, if they are both real solid college producers, tend to have really good NFL careers too. So Jonathan Williams on the uh, on the running back side would be a guy that I'd be targeting. Um, on the wide receiver side, I'm a big believer in Farrell Cooper. He's a guy that if you look, uh, so some of you all might know, I, I do something called the Phenom Index. It's basically a sort of a value screen to think how good and how young are these wide receivers coming into the draft. If you look at players who have as diverse of contributions as Farrell Cooper does, running, returning, receiving, and look at their phenom score, Farrell Cooper's comparables are absolutely fantastic, and you would take every single one of those guys, you know, for the most part, um, and to get any of them in the second round, pick 15, pick 20, somewhere in that range, that is an absolute steal. The article was called, uh, I think, Draft Farrow Cooper and laughed all the way, Laugh All the Way to the Bank and Dynasty, and I think that's somebody that, if he is there after the, the 15th pick in a Dynasty League, it's just a no-brainer. All right, he's another guy kind of like um, Boyd who has taken some heat in the Dynasty community and the DraftNet community lately, so uh, if nothing else, you've made me feel better about my my Cooper and Boyd shares in, in Devi Leagues. But overall, just some great information today from you, John. We appreciate you joining us. And tell our listeners where they can find your work. Sure. The best way to keep up with my stuff is just to follow me on Twitter, at the CFX. Uh, it stands for the College Football Experiment. And Rotoviz is the main place where my content goes up. And so I just encourage everyone to check me out there. Happy to talk shop, answer questions, or DM with anybody. Uh, pretty low-key guy, so... I'm glad to connect with you, Ryan and Matt, and I look forward to connecting with anybody else who may be listening. John, you were great. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Thanks again, John, and we'll be back next time with more Rookie Draft Talk.